And turn to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119. And I'm going to direct your attention to just two verses tonight. We move into the next section in Psalm 119. And I just want you to look at verse 17 and verse 18 tonight as our text. And I'll not keep you long. We'll be brief here. Uh, there's a couple things I want to uh, talk to you about or share with you after uh, we're done here. And uh, there's some meetings and things like that. And so we'll not uh, be too terribly long here tonight. But I do want you to uh, engage your mind and your heart uh, into the Word of God tonight and let it effectually work in you. Amen. The Bible says in verse 17, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I think everybody here knows what a sense of wonder is. Uh, I remember as a kid, the things that I had a sense of wonder about then are different than what they are today. But I, I remember having a, a sense of, of that even as a child. You know, you, you learn something that's cool or, or you're just like, you're, and you have this sense of like, wow, like uh, that's, that's amazing. Um, I get a, a sense of wonder at different things these days. I get, I get so fascinated with, with history um, and even like uh, ancient or archaeological ruins, they just, they just fascinate me and, and it intrigues me, uh, you know, to see places of long ago, uh, places of Bible times. I remember when we were in Lebanon um, and we went down to uh, the biblical cities of Tyre and Sidon. And while we were there, we got to, to go and explore and see um, some, some things that are standing that are 2,000 years old, uh, that are even from Bible times. And we're, we're walking down this Roman road. And, and I was thinking to myself, man, this is in better shape than Alaska roads are after 2,000 years. And you, you see all the things that are, are still there, and my imagination starts to go wild. Uh, we walked into the Hippodrome, which was like an arena, basically, and, and it was where they would have chariot races and, and all kinds of sporting events and so on. And, and my mind starts to go, like, what, what must this have looked like in its heyday? And the people that walked these very streets and the people that sat in these stands in this, this arena what were their lives like? And my mind just kind of goes with all of that. And, it, and you kind of get a sense of like, if I could ever go back in time, in a time machine, I think I would probably go back to that era, that time, Bible times, uh, see things like that. And some of you, I think, are the same way. You really enjoy uh, going to see places like that. But you, you understand what a sense of wonder means and feels like. And the psalmist in our text in these two verses, he asked the Lord for two things and for and two very specific reasons. One in verse 17 and one in verse 18. The first thing that he asked the Lord is, is in verse 17. He says, deal bountifully with thy servant. The second thing that he asked the Lord is in verse 18 when he says, ask the Lord, open thou mine eyes. 
And there's two specific reasons he asks these things. In verse 17, he says, Deal bountifully with thy servant, and here's the, here's the reason, that I may live and keep thy word. And then in verse 18, he says, Open thou mine eyes, and here's the reason, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. What a great prayer request to ask of the Lord, first of all, that he would deal bountifully with me, and secondly, that he would open my eyes so that I could understand the wonders of his law. And we're going to take these two requests and their reasons and just briefly talk about them tonight because they're very relevant, and it's a prayer that the psalmist prays that really ought to be on the lips of every one of God's children. First of all, the psalmist says in verse 18, or 17, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. I don't know if you know what the phrase, deal bountifully, means or not. You can probably sort of imagine. But the idea that the psalmist is getting across here is, is when he says, deal bountifully with me, he's, he's asking the Lord to treat him well. The definition or the meaning is to treat a person well for benefit. And so the psalmist cries out to the Lord, asking for God to treat him well so that he might have benefit in his life. Do you understand that? You follow that? And he, and, and he says, if, if God would do this for me, if the Lord would treat me bountifully, the psalmist indicates what those benefits might be. And the benefit that the psalmist talks about is that if God will deal bountifully with me, then I am going to have life, number one, and number two, I'm going to be able to keep God's word. What a great thought and a great prayer. And it teaches us two things concerning life. Number one, it teaches us that life comes only from God's gracious hand. He asked the Lord to deal bountifully with him, to treat him well so that he could have life. And it teaches us that life comes only from God's gracious hand. You know that the origin of life is from God. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You understand that the origin of physical life is from God. God breathed life into man. Not only is the origin of physical life from God, but friend, the continuance of your life is only from God's gracious hand. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The, 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 the truth is tonight that there is no creature that has a right to life or right to live. In other words, what I mean by that is it's not of our doing as if it's somehow by my might that I have a right to do this. No, life is only a gift in, because of the gracious hand of God in, uh, toward me and toward you. All finite life is a gift, especially in the case of human life. 
And the continuance of this life is only by the gracious hand of God too because man has rebelled against his creator and the thing that we deserve is destruction and death. We only live by the mercy of God. And the psalmist says, Lord, deal bountifully with me so that I could have life. Not only is physical life a gift, but all spiritual life is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us what mankind is like in his natural state. In our natural state, we can't receive the things of God. And verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. We don't have the ability to have spiritual discernment in our natural state. And in our natural dead state, we don't have spiritual life. Every person needs to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means life from above. That's what it means. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is life from above. And every man must be born from above and imparted with new life, which only comes from God's gracious, bountiful dealing with men. Romans chapter 4, 2, in verse 4, I think it is, talks about the goodness of God that leadeth one to repentance. The psalmist says, deal bountifully with me that I might have life. And then he says, and keep thy word. He understands that he cannot be obedient to God and his word without God's gracious dealing in his life. In other words, you and I don't have the ability to be obedient to God simply on our own. The psalmist says, I need you to deal with me graciously. I need you to deal with me bountifully. I need you to treat me well so that I could benefit and I can benefit from obeying the word of God. And it teaches us something else. That the value of life depends upon obedience to God's word. The value of your life is connected to the obedience of God's word. You see the connection? Deal well with me or bountifully with me. Treat me well so that I can have life and obey your word. There's a connection here that tells us about the value of life. Life apart from obedience to God and his word is a life that is without peace. A life that is without harmony. A life that is of no spiritual usefulness, it's a life that is without God and a life without hope. Go to Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1. And notice in Romans chapter 1, God is talking about mankind. And Romans 1 is dealing with Gentile nations and just the downward spiral of mankind. Once you get uh, to verse 18, and that's where I want you to, to go with me. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And because of all that, God gave them up. But he goes back to verse, we go back to verse 18, and it says, The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word hold or hold the truth, it means to suppress. In other words, the truth is there. The truth is available. It's in their life to suppress the truth. They push it away. They don't allow the truth to influence and work in their life. Why is it that men hate truth? Why is it that men suppress the truth or keep it at arm's length so it cannot work in my life? Well, because the truth reveals what I am and it makes me accountable to God. This is why they do that. I don't want to be accountable to God. If I'm accountable to God, I have to be obedient to God. Well, Paul goes on to talk about not just Gentile nations, but he talks about the Jews in chapter 2, how they condemn others, but they do the exact same things. And he concludes that all of us are without excuse. We've all sinned and we come short of the glory of God in chapter 3. But you get to chapter 3 and Paul says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now notice this, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. To become unprofitable means to be rendered as useless. In other words, without obedience to the known will of God and the word of God, a life that is not in obedience to the Lord is rendered useless. It's of no spiritual profit, no spiritual value. The measure of my life what, what is it that measures my life? The measure of my life is not what kind of career I have. Whether you work as a nurse or a plumber or a carpenter or a surgeon or a banker or whatever you are, the measure of my life is not what career I have. The measure of my life is not how many friends I have. Whether you're popular or not. It's not how much money a person makes, and it's certainly not how influential you are towards others. Now, we're in the age of the influencer on social media. I saw this funny little clip about two parents and their you know, adult child who is a young adult, and, 
and they're sitting down talking to each other at the dinner table and and the girl she's she's bringing or introducing a guy to the parents and it was really all about you know it was all about what kind of influence does he have what's his how many followers does he have and if he doesn't have enough followers then he's not influential or he's not important enough or he's not popular enough for you to you know to to have a relationship with that's kind of the that's how the world measures popularity or the value of someone's life or how important they are. How many followers do you have on social media? That's not the measure of a person's life. How influential you are to others. The value of my life consists in whether or not I'm obedient to God and His Word. That really means that some Christian people sometimes are in a place where their life is of really no value to the Lord when it comes to the spiritual, even though we claim to be Christian. Because, listen, we can... And I'll get to, I'll get to this in a minute. Jesus talked to the Pharisees, who were religious people, but Jesus rebuked them. And He rebuked them because their sin remained. The reason their sin remained is because they thought they could see, when in reality, they were blind to the spiritual realities of God's Word. The value of my life consists in whether or not I'm obedient to the Word of God. And we can say all day long, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, I obey the Bible, and my life can be exactly the opposite. If I'm not going to align myself with its truth. That being said, the Lord knows that we're not perfect. He remembers our frame, and He knows that we're dust. We were talking about this in our Sunday school class on Sunday. We go to John chapter 17. I want you to read verse 6 with me, because there's a statement that Jesus makes that I, that I always find, I find it encouraging, really. <laughs> John 17 is Jesus praying to His heavenly Father, and Jesus says in verse 4, I've glorified thee on the earth. I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they, notice what he says, have kept thy word. They're obedient to the word of God. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about his disciples particularly. The apostles. They were given to him of God and he says, they have kept thy word. And I, that verse is always encouraging to me or those words are always encouraging to me because you know what? We know who the apostles were and we know that they were men who had some colossal failures in their life. You remember Peter, for example. Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter was the one who was the most vocal, who was the most adamant that, Lord, I'll follow you even to death. And you remember when Jesus said to his apostles that I'm going to go and die, and Peter came and took the Lord by the shoulders, and he shook him, and he said, Not so, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. That'll never happen to you. You remember that? 
But then later on he said, I'll go to death with you, Lord. And when push came to shove, Peter had an epic failure in his life when he denied the Lord three times. And the Bible says that Peter looked up and Jesus looked at him. They, you kind of get the idea that they made some eye contact. <laughs> and it crushed Peter's soul because he knew what he did. And yet, Jesus says, there's glory here. And not only is there glory here, but I just, I'm making the statement that they have kept thy word. Even amongst all of their failures, the Lord looked at them as being obedient and keeping his word. How did they do that, though? How was that possible? Well, it wasn't from their own ability. Do you remember that Jesus prayed for Peter? And he said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. When you get turned around and your mind is straight and you get your thinking right, then you're going to be able to strengthen the brethren. But I've prayed for you, Peter. And when that happens, you're going to be able to strengthen the brethren. The point I'm trying to make here is that the psalmist, when he says, he says, Lord, treat me well, deal bountifully with me so that I could have life and so that I can keep your word. The psalmist understands that the ability to obey God's word was equally dependent upon God as the very life that God gave to him. He needed God's grace in dealing with him. And so he asked that life might be given to him in order that he might honor the word of God by obeying it. And the same is true with us. <laughs> we are so dependent on the Lord, need to be in order to be obedient to God's word. Because our life can be full of epic failures too. And the measure of my life is not in the things I have, but in my obedience to the Lord. But my obedience to the Lord is, deal, is, is really a matter of my heart and dependence upon God and strength from the Lord to be able to keep His word. The second thing that the psalmist asked for is in verse 18. So if you'd go back there to Psalm 119. By the way, have you ever found yourself having trouble being obedient to the Word of God. Maybe there are some who try and try and try and try and they just can't ever seem to be obedient. Well, maybe it's because you need some new life. Maybe it's you need some life imparted to you and some enabling. Other times, it could be that we're just not relying on the Lord for His power and yielding to His Spirit to give us the strength to obey. But the psalmist says in verse 18, the next thing he asks for is, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That phrase, open thou mine eyes, that's the request. And the reason he's asking that is so that he could see or behold wondrous things in God's law. That phrase, though, open thou mine eyes, was a familiar Eastern figure of speech. It's based on the observed fact that the eye, as an organ, is dependent on the mind and the will. 
Men have to be helped to see everything that is really worth seeing. And if we're going to understand divine and spiritual things, it can only be with divine illumination. If we are to see the things that are unseen, it's only, or, or if our eyes have been opened, it's only because we've come in contact with the power of God or the Spirit of God. Do you remember Elisha and his servant? The servant of Elisha, with partly closed eyes, couldn't see anything but the chariots and the horsemen of Syria, and he was afraid. But when his eyes were opened, what did he see? He saw that all around the hills there were chariots of, uh, and horsemen of God that were right there, but they were not able to be seen with the mortal eye. The Lord opened the blind eyes of men physically when he walked this earth, and often it was an illustration of God's gracious work in the soul of men. And the Lord, if you read over in the book of Revelation, Jesus counsels his half-blinded church in Laodicea. He said, Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. In other words, so you can really see what you really are. So you can really see the spiritual things. And the opening of the soul eyes is a figure of speech for the ability to have spiritual discernment. And there's nothing that we need more than sensitivity to divine and eternal things, insight into the will of God, sharpness of vision that can detect at once the leading and the pointing of the finger of God in our life, to have spiritual discernment and spiritual life. And the psalmist says, Lord, I need you to open my eyes so that I can see some things. This prayer implies something. It implies that he had a consciousness of the dimness of his spiritual vision. In other words, he was aware of how spiritually dim his eyes could be. I told you this before, but Jesus reproached the Pharisees of his day because they were blind. Yet they, in themselves, thought that they could see just fine. They thought that they could see very clear. And Jesus said to them, Ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. You know what he's saying? Your spiritual pride has actually blinded you to what you really are. And your sin remains because you can't see what it is because you're spiritually blind. There's no prayer in the man who thinks he sees. You know what? We do that at times. It takes some humility on our part in order to have spiritual eyesight. That's the gateway to open eyes. And the psalmist cries out, showing his dependence on God and humility of heart. He was aware that his eyes could be spiritually dim. You know that there are times when the Word of God is open to us? Or there's somebody else who comes to us in our life who wants to point something out about us where we are deficient, where we are not spiritually aware, and our ears are deaf, our eyes are blind, and we don't want to see what we really are. And it's because of our spiritual pride. 
You'll never see it. Therefore, your sin remaineth. You understand that? We want to admit what we really are. We think we see. We think we're spiritual. I know more than you. What could you teach me? You want to point something out? Well, let me point right back. And I never, ever open up my eyes. I don't have a heart to let the Lord open my eyes to see what I really am. And I don't know that I'm poor and blind and wretched and naked. Those who look into the perfect law of liberty and straightway forgetteth what manner of men they are. They deceive themselves. And the psalmist says he had a conscious awareness of the potential for, for his, his spiritual vision to be dim. That's why he's asking the Lord, I need you to open my eyes. It takes humility on our part. Take some dependence on God, but it's the proud heart that will never have their eyes truly open. Oh, we see. We think we have a good gauge. And Jesus says, well, therefore your sin remaineth. But the psalmist says, I want you to open my eyes so that I can behold wondrous things out of thy law. That word wondrous, it means, it means great. It means amazing. Now, when we think of that, we might think of, like, the spectacular. Open my eyes so that I can behold these great, amazing things out of thy law. We might think of the spectacular. We might think of scratching out some hidden gem that others have not seen in the Word of God. And certainly there are hidden gems, and there are wonderful nuggets of truth. But you know what else is wondrous? In the Word of God. It's a wondrous thing that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, would show us what manner of men we are. That is a wondrous thing, Chris. Do you know why it's a wondrous thing? Because if we did not have that, it would hinder our ability to have fellowship with God Himself. And it's a wondrous thing that God would say and show us what manner of men we are so that we could benefit from fellowship with Him. Our pride gets in the way and we don't want to admit or see and it hinders our fellowship with the Lord. You know what else is a wondrous thing? in the Word of God, that I can understand how to have my sins forgiven and no peace with God. That's a wondrous thing, a great thing, and an amazing thing to know. And, to, we, and we can't, we can't, no tongue or pen could tell the love of God towards men. But the Word of God gives us some knowledge and understanding that God loves me so much that He sent His only begotten Son so that I could have eternal life. The love of God is a wondrous thing. The Word of God teaches us how to raise children. That's a wondrous thing. The Word of God can teach us about our finances. The Word of God can teach us about health and life. Listen, people spend a fortune on books and seminars for these kinds of things, and it probably will never even work. But God gives it to us for free, and God's way always works. It's a wondrous thing. 
The Bible teaches us how to go through life. And then into eternity after that. You know, we study the Word of God and, oh, I've preached that. I've preached through that you know, chapter. I've preached through that book before and so on. But may we never lose the wonder of this book. Like, it doesn't matter how many times you read a passage of Scripture. God's truth is so deep. God's truth is always relevant. And we ought to have the heart like the psalmist, Lord, open my eyes, so I never lose the wonder of your book. And may we never lose the wonder of this book. You know, tell me, tell me the old, old story again and again and again. And may it get more glorious every time. And may I be more amazed each time I look into it when I understand a little bit deeper of God's great love toward me. If this book is boring, and I just don't see much in the way of help for me in my life, I don't know how it's relevant, or I've read through it and truth becomes old hat, things I've known for a long time, maybe we need to be asking the Lord, open my eyes so that I can see clearly. And the prayer of the psalmist is simple. He asked God to give him insight and understanding of his word, not just to understand what it says, but the ability and the life to obey it. And one key to understanding is by simply asking. And the prayer of the psalmist ought to be on the lips of God's people to this very day as we open up this book and read the sac- these sacred pages. Lord, help me understand and know your, your word and your truth. And, and the heart is, Lord, I want to be touched and impressed and I want to be filled and I want to be, Lord, I want to be amazed at your truth. Paul said to the Thessalonians that, They received the words not as words of men, but as they are in truth, the word of God, from the very mouth of God. And then he said, it effectually works in you that believe. It has power, supernatural power, to work in our life. So the question is, how do we approach the word of God? The question is, does it have value in my life? The psalmist said, Lord, I want you to deal bountifully with me. Treat me well so that I can benefit, so that I can have life, so that I can obey your word. And Lord, I want you to open my eyes so that I can marvel at your word. Behold wondrous things out of thy law. All of that comes from the gracious hand of God. Be thankful for God's Word. Amen. And may that be the prayer of our heart as well, just like the psalmist. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd help us, Lord, number one, to be humble before You. We can be so self-righteous.
or feel superior. But it's the humble heart that understands the potential for spiritual dimness lies. We can read words on a page, we can know truth, but we can know what it says, but if it's not in the heart or the heart is not humble to receive it, our eyes are going to stay dim. And Lord, I pray that it would be in our heart like the psalmist to be dependent on the Lord and humble before the Lord. Lord, I need life from You. I need ability from You to be obedient. And also, in order to be obedient, I need to be able to see what I am, see Your truth. And the psalmist knew that he needed the help of God for that too. And Lord, I pray that that would be our heart as well. As we learn to love You and love Your Word, more and more. And I pray that you'd impress this upon our hearts, how much we need it and the value of it. In Jesus' name, amen.